Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Eric Gilbert, who's the co-founder and festival director at Treefort Music Fest, an annual five-day event in Boise, Idaho, that's had over 133,000 attendees in eight years, and they featured thousands of bands from around the world. And in this episode, we talk about how Treefort Music Fest got started, the planning behind it, how that first festival went, some of the marketing that goes into putting this on, also the directing of a thousand or so volunteers that go into this festival every year, how they've navigated this COVID-19 situation with all the shutdowns, and why they're crowdfunding through WeFunder right now, which you can find at wefunder.com slash treefort. All of that and much, much more in this episode. As always, the show notes are justgogrind.com slash podcast, where you have links to things mentioned in this episode. And you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Hawk Media, a full-service outsourced CMO based in Santa Monica, California, providing guidance, planning, and execution to grow brands of all sizes, industries, and business models. Hawk Media is recognized by Inc. as one of the fastest-growing marketing consultancies, and their collaborative process, a la carte offering, and month-to-month fee structure give clients the flexibility they need to boost digital revenues and marketing ROI. Hawk Media, the company, has serviced over 1,500 brands of all sizes, ranging from startups like Tomorrow Melon, SIO Beauty, and Bottle Keeper, to household names like Red Bull, Verizon Wireless, and Alibaba. And also, I had the founder and CEO of Hawk Media, Eric Huberman, on the podcast in episode number 23, if you want to take a listen. And to get a free consultation, head on over to hawkmedia.com and be sure to mention Just Go Grind. Without further ado, here is Eric Gilbert, co-founder and festival director of Treefort Music Fest. Eric, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about Treefort Music Fest, and I've always kind of wondered about the logistics behind a festival putting this on, and so uh, there's so much to talk about. For, for context for people, what is Treefort Music Fest, Eric? So Tree, Treefort Music Fest is based in Boise, Idaho. It's, a, um, it's now a five-day multi-venue multi-genre event you know started as music focused and we do have a lot of a lot of music it you know it um over the five days last couple years we've had over four 400 bands and we you know use over close to about 30 different stages um but on top of that over the last you know we're 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 essentially in our ninth year and um over time it's sort of a it's sort of broadened uh, in collaboration with other aspects of the community here in boise there's now multiple multiple forts um that represent other veins in the creative community here everything from a food fort an ale fort a skate fort for the skateboarding uh, <laughs> uh community um there's a story fort that the literary community started there's a yoga fort a kid fort a film fort um the ultimate test can i name all the forts off the top of my head? But, <laughs> but you get the general idea there there are nine yeah. forts. Oh, yeah there's an art fort and the cool thing with all those is those are all you know, founded within our framework and ran by people within those pockets of the community. And, you know, and I come from the music world and, you know, was here at the beginning with Treefort. So it typically happens at the end of March um, for five five days. And those that are relatively familiar with music festivals, but, you know, in context, it it it's kind of in the family tree line of uh, festivals like South by Southwest. 
So we're yeah, I was just going to say. <laughs> we're, we're considerably different, but we do happen the weekend after that. And there's a lot of similarities, you know, in this, in the species of the festival that we land in. So, and there are so many questions around, around that we'll get into, but how did this get started in the first place, Eric? So I, I was, I, my wife and I were in a touring band for a long time out of Idaho and we were touring the country quite a bit, very DIY style. And we were on a label out of Portland and, um, you know, so we, we were really passionate about keeping our home base in Idaho, even though, you know, most people don't think of Idaho as, you know, or historically hadn't thought of Idaho as having a, you know, big music scene, mostly because there's not a lot of visibility to it. There's, there's not a lot of, uh, uh, not a lot of industry, uh, music industry in, uh, in Idaho. So a lot of kids would move away. And if they wanted to pursue their dreams of music and stuff, they'd move to a Portland or Seattle or a Los Angeles or, or a New York, et cetera. Um, but as a band, we started playing a lot of these festivals. There was CMJ in New York City that we played um, back in uh, 2008. That was a long-running festival, multi-venue festival there. We played South by Southwest a couple times, uh, Music Fest Northwest in Portland, and uh, and 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 whatnot. So, so my you know coming through that, and then for, it was a very it was very much for like a scene building exercise in the sense that you know we really were passionate about Boise having a vibrant scene, but just not a lot of visibility to it. Wanting to find you know we were finding our own pathway to visibility by touring a lot but that's not sustainable for for everybody and so um you know we were doing a lot of work to encourage our, our touring friends to stop in boise and um you know doing a lot of travel of our own but as um as the scene in like 2011 you know little a couple of years post recession you know during yeah. the, the, the recession here a lot of people moved moved back to Boise or there was at least less of an exodus because there's a lot of unknowns with the economy. So there was this general spirit of like, Hey, we can, we can build at home what we want out of our, out of our community. And so that was kind of the spirit we were riding. And there were a few other factors that sort of started clicking with the scene here and started thus some other interest, you know, from outside of just the core music circles, people started becoming more interested in the music scene and, you know, one big thing is Radio Boise went on air in 2011 that helped, you know, basically raise the local visibility of the sort of underground music scene. And through that, I met my partner, Lori Shandro, and um, her essentially assistant at the time, but uh, Drew LaRona, who had both become co-founders in this. And they sort of were fishing around looking, wanting to maybe open a venue or finding a way to get involved in the music scene. And, in, in, you know, from their vantage point, it was building, you know, uh, funding and building a, 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 a venue. And, um, yeah. And just to complete that story, Lori, Lori had some money set aside from her late husband. He had passed away in a plane crash a couple of years before that and was looking to do something meaningful with that money. And, um, and that was kind of her angle. And she was a big, a big, uh, a big music fan. They used to travel and go to other places to see music. And she was yearning for more bands to stop in Boise. And so through you know, the, the relatively small town that is Boise, they were snooping around trying to find somebody <laughs> to, to collaborate with that kind of knew the music world more. In a parallel universe, you know, been throwing around the idea of doing this sort of multi-venue festival in Boise, just because from a band's perspective, from the artist's perspective, it's such a cool festival. It's like the one time that all your touring friends stop in the same town and y'all get, <laughs> get to, to, to hang out with each other. And so, I had been essentially going to other people's parties in other cities for a while and, you know, really wanted to host, host one in our town and showcase what Boise had to offer, but also show, showcase what the underground music scene had to offer for Boise. And so, 
so we 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 collided. I, I collided with Laurie and Drew in the summer of 2011, and after an initial conversation of me helping with a couple shows, I came back and with to them, and I was like, "What about trying like a three day multi venue festival that showcases <laughs> new new artists?" And yeah. um, a week later, they came back and said, "Yes, let's uh, give it a shot. We have some money we can put toward hiring you to um, to figure it out," and 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 we went from there. So. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I will say, like, from a festival perspective, I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And oh. so Summerfest is a huge thing there. And seeing how many people come in because of that and how that really uh, changes the city. And that's something everyone looks forward to every summer. It's just yeah. like the biggest thing we have there, yeah. uh, which is so much fun. And also, uh, for context, too, I have been to Boise a number of times. So I do, oh, cool. I do like the city a lot. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, how, it's... you know, when you do get hired, go ahead. I was gonna say, yeah, Boise has this great, vibrant downtown, and it's very walkable. And I think it it, it lends itself really well to a festival like like this and the community itself. So, oh, um, absolutely. And if people haven't visited, I think definitely you should visit. It's yeah. it's a nice it's a nice place to see. And most people wouldn't be on their list, but uh, things like this yeah. definitely put it on the map for that. And yeah. I'm really curious as to in that three day start for that festival, that first festival. Yeah. Take me through some of the things you were doing to get this off the ground. I know there's a lot of them, but I, I mm-hmm. want to hear details because I'm really curious. Yeah. I mean, one of the, so, you know, started with this idea, we're going to do three days and 60 bands. And so, you know, um, it, I mean, it starts with like kind of figuring out, we knew we wanted to do it downtown and use some existing structures, but we quickly decided we also wanted to have an outdoor stage. So, you know, in a downtown area, you know, a big part of it is just like figuring out a site that can work. And we knew where the general, area we wanted to which is it, it's adjacent to the core of downtown but in kind of a developing west side of it um that we all kind of like but you know but then you gotta talk to property owners and figure out who's willing to let you throw a party on their parking lot and um and you know so that 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 was like you know so what's crazy is we we started i essentially was hired october 1st and this was you know we we launched the following march so it was we had a six month run so you know, simultaneously trying to lock down venues, the the established music venues were pretty game right off the bat because it was it was it was end of March is kind of a typically pretty dark time uh, time for them, so they were pretty much oh there's pretty low low risk to let this kid try 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 something. And, um, <laughs> some of since I was in a band and something, people knew me and knew I wasn't just some random, but um, but and then it was just like you know, but figuring out you know, with the city, you know, cause doing something downtown in multiple locations involves a lot of different, you know, prop- property owners and the city itself. So there was a lot of challenges in that regard, but barring a couple of lucky strokes of luck that got us through a couple of things, for the most part, people were pretty, you know, especially still, once again, being kind of just on the, is just a couple of years after the, the bottom of the recession, people were, there was a lot of empty spaces and people were generally open to um, something that seemed like it could be a way to, you know, magnify their business in a relatively slow time. Um, but then simultaneously, it was like getting the conversations going with the artists. Luckily, I had a pretty good relationship with the sort of with the the, the touring community in general and had a lot of friends I could tap that were decent bands that had decent followings. Um, uh, built uh, There's this great band, Built a Spill, that's based here in Boise, Idaho, that I had toured with. And, you know, they were a great starting point and they were instantly like, yeah, this sounds awesome. And, and, so it was easy to sort of call, start sending emails and call other pe- people and be like, well, built spills in and everyone's like, Ooh, oh, okay. <laughs> you know? And so, yeah. And, and, and the general pitch to them were like, Hey, we know we, you want Boise to be a better stop. We, we, we know you either skip it or you stop here and keep a night off, you know, 
touring out west is rough. There's a lot of long, long drives. And so the sort of pitch was like, hey, let us help you make this a better tour stop in, in, into the future. Um, and being the weekend after South by Southwest, there's a lot of traffic, band traffic heading back west and stuff. So there was a lot of, we sort of had, had already identified a, a need in the touring community at that period of time. So so one of the things that helped the momentum of it early on is that it was, we identified a, a really clear need, both locally, but also in the touring co- community. So people were quick to jump on board. And thus, by the time we pulled the festival off, it was a four-day festival and had more <laughs> like 140 bands. So we, so it, nice. So it, as we started building, it started growing pretty fast. So. And, and from that too, then you mentioned, okay, obviously you change it to a four-day, you got more yeah. bands on board. I mean, how did the first one go in terms of attendance, response from people? I'm curious. Yeah. So the first one, I mean, there was a lot of, there was a lot of energy around it. And, you know, we had, a, I remember our first volunteer meeting that we held. I was just shocked. It was like, you know, a hundred, couple hundred people showed up to this sort of like a town hall style, like come and hear what we're trying to do. You know, so we saw a lot of signs of enthusiasm and there were some skeptics, you know, just like, okay, who are these people trying to do this? And it, <laughs> um, but ticket sales, to be honest, we weren't that great in that first year um, before the festival. You, you know, I think, you know, we, luckily we were in a position to be able to lose money. It wasn't what we were trying to do, but um, we, so I think leading up to the festival, there was enthusiasm from the bands, there was enthusiasm in general, but as far as it didn't feel like it hit like a tipping point with the community in general, um, until literally the first day of the festival, I remember actually my band was the uh, sacrificial lamb to play first at like a (laughs) 6 p.m. on a Thursday. And I just remember, I mean, typical time, you know, a band normally plays that time. There's like, you know, there's not going to be anybody out. But I just remember like as people just started pouring into that first show, I think everybody kind of got chills like, wow, this, this thing is really happening. There's people showing up and people, you know, so we, we got really lucky with weather that first year and it kind of allowed a lot of the people that hadn't pre-bought tickets to, to be willing to try it. And it ended up going just incredibly well and everyone was blown away. And there was like this whole, like, you know, it was, it was a very like kind of tipping point sort of experience where everybody just had this, this, um, collective e, 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 e epiphany that whole weekend that that they that this was providing some something that they that they needed that they didn't realize that they that they needed and um, yeah so. and something be said for having it having it out there when it when it is live when it is like open then people mm-hmm. are like wait what is this thing that's happening yeah, exactly. <laughs> when they can see it and experience yeah. it and what were some of the things i know you mentioned you know mm-hmm. it took that to kind of uh grow this a bit but in terms of like thinking about the marketing behind it before you launched, you hadn't done this before. So what were some of the things you were thinking about on that perspective? Well, we took, you know, bands are like tiny little businesses, you you know, and, and so I definitely had a lot of experience with PR and marketing from the sort of how to do that for shows and with bands in general. But, you know, one of the interesting things, and this is weird that it's not really that long ago, but in 2011, um, Facebook was still, it was still an, 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 a primarily organic. um, Yeah. Uh, algorithm, I, uh, I guess. So like, you know, we were able to leverage social media really effectively at that time without spending any money. And um, especially locally, like Boise was one of those towns that, that's, that especially Facebook at that time was like pretty heavily used. Um, and so it kind of went viral locally, you, you know, through, through some efforts, we got some early press just kind of through some of my connections and people that were intrigued about a new festival in Boise, Idaho, like the Seattle times covered us really, really early on. Um, 
but you know our our whole approach from the get go is was to do more of a uh a, a, of a pull marketing cam- campaign as opposed to a, a push marketing cam- campaign meaning that we just wanted to build something really compelling and you know let word of mouth that this thing of value you know would would sort of sell itself to some degree and we were okay with we 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 kind of wanted more of like sort of like you know, because of the style festival where it's a little bit more like underground music and stuff, we sort of, we recognized that it was going to benefit from just people that were passionate about that. And it was, it's kind of hard to market to a, tr- a more broad <laughs> audience bands that they don't know, but there are, you know, there's the nerd centric that are just like into that sort of thing. So we really yeah. took that approach of trying to make it feel not exclusive, but a little bit like if you're in the know, you're going to, you're going to be real passionate about it. So that was kind of the strategy. Yeah, there is some type type of like magic in that, you know, mm-hmm. when people hear about it I and mean, they, they're the ones that can tell someone, oh, you didn't hear about this, oh, this festival yeah. I went to, you know, there was something to that as well. And, and one of the things I'm wondering, did you end up getting like sponsors, partnerships uh, for this, the first year? So the first year we, we, we had a few, we took a really, really conscious effort though. We, we wanted to maintain the value of the brand and, you know, it was really important to the artist community at that time in particular, you, you know, like they were getting really tired of the festivals with you know, big banners behind the stages of cor- corporate sponsors that didn't really resonate with what, with their artwork, with, with their art and stuff. So, so we were really picky about sponsors and, you know, that's one of the huge testaments I've always, uh, with, with, with like Lori in, in particular, it was easy for me to be like, you know, like, I don't think we should take any money from Coca-Cola or whoever that might be <laughs> not to throw anyone under the bus in particular, but sure. um, <laughs> It's easy for me to say because you know it wasn't my loss directly, you know. But the fact that she was, she had that, she shared that like vision. It was like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to sell this thing out to anybody too quickly. Um, so yeah, we'll hold the line. I'm willing to shoulder any losses to make sure that we can we can present this in the way that we want to. And what's cool is now you know we do have a lot of sponsors now, and they're and we're able to kind of bring them in on our terms more. Where yeah, you know, you know, a lot of events take the easy money right off the bat, and and and, and it's pretty obvious where that easy money <laughs> comes from because you see it a lot in a lot of places. So, yeah, and I definitely want to get back to you know kind of today terms and you know what you're doing with WeFunder, but a couple of things yeah. I want to wonder is like going from I'm I'm picturing in my head now this jump from okay you, you don't have anything first to start with you have this idea for let's make this festival you, you know that once you start it then people start hearing about it word of mouth can spread take me through the first year to the second year how, how are the differences with that how did you think through things differently because you had the experience of running it i'm curious about that mm-hmm. yeah i think there was you know you get so when you're just building something from the ground up you're, you're so just like in battle mode the whole time you're not there was no like long-term arc being in, in vision, it was just, <laughs> yeah. you know, real, like in the trenches sur- survival mode. Once it worked, I think we were all somewhat in shock and, you know, obviously very excited. And, and, but initially it was just, you know, kind of took a breather and it was, and that, that was sort of when it was like, okay, what are we, what are we doing? Is I guess we built something that's, that's going somewhere. So that's kind of when we started thinking about it more like, okay, is this, I guess, is this a business? I guess we should set it up pro- <laughs> properly. And, think about, you know, so, you know, it took us a couple of years really to sort of, I guess, find ourselves in organizationally. Like it was a couple of years, I think it was like our, going into our third year that someone presented us with the, the, the sort of um, B, B, B Corp model. And at that point we sort of reincorporated and, and got sort of, you know, work on certification as a B Corp. Cause 
you know, initially, like, like a lot of festivals like ours, because we were so purpose driven, um, it almost seemed like the logical thing would be to become a nonprofit. But we were like, that's not really how we want to function. And it's not we, we see a lot of holes in that reasoning. Yeah. Um, and so we we, we like the the the, um, the flexibility of being a for profit. But but so it was, so it was, it was cool when we were presented with this B Corp model. Like, oh, yeah, that's exactly who 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 we are. So, you know, the next couple of years were was a little bit of, you know, riding that initial momentum, which was really exciting and and good. And, you know, after that first year, I think the city, I think a lot of people didn't realize what we were up to in the city after that. Were like, OK, that was awesome. But can you talk to us <laughs> a little bit more? Like, let's figure this out. That was, yeah. you know, it kind of surprised everybody, like how many people came out and everything. And so it was sort of like you know, a lot of, yeah, but, you know, I think we had sort of earned our, you know, earned um, there, you know, we had earned our cred a little bit more, you know, every, everyone was like, okay, that's a real thing. There were some annoying things about it, but we want to support you and we want to help through that. So I think the next year, I mean, so, yeah, I don't know if that answers the question. Fully, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. Kind of, yeah. It was a lot yeah. of just sorting out the rubble and figuring out, okay, who are we, what are we doing and how do we, build this moving forward so yeah and then going to then the most recent festival so 2019 last yeah. year when you had your last one i mean you're looking at over 400 bands you have nine forts as you mentioned 37 venues it's a much different scenario than your your first year take me through with that then how the how that changed in terms of how you organize things what it looks like today in terms of running running a festival and you've done it for a number of years now what does it take to kind of run that nowadays yeah, yeah it's been you know, it's been an interesting process to be a part of just in the sense that, you know, first couple of years, there was, you know, there was a core of about five of us that met on the regular, but then there was, there was a, a, a broader core of about 15 that were kind of on the, the team. Um, and, you know, over the years that we've added these forts, you know, it's been a little bit of, we've, you know, from an organizational structure side, it was pretty freewheeling. So there wasn't, you know, it's not very hier hierarchical. Um, but the last couple of years, we've, we've definitely had to take a little more, you know, at least like org organizational understanding. <laughs> and so we like really, so we have these forts that are sort of, they're essentially like, I mean, I kind of look at them as self-managing teams, you, you know, and so they, they have their own leadership essentially. And, you know, they're all founded, like I was saying earlier about people, you know, from people from within those different pockets of the community. And we give them a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of autonomy within that, um, but then there has to be this cohesion that we seek too. And so, um, so we, it's been a lot of interesting. We have this sort of central team that sort of, we, we, that kind of manages how all the other forts both operate, but how we market the whole thing and, 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 and whatnot. So now when we do full team meetings, you know, so basically it's like six months or about half the year, it's a small team of us kind of keeping the lights on and making sure everything's getting prepped. And then the six months leading up to the festival, it starts there ends up being about a hundred people on the full team, you know, and then plus 700 plus volunteers and stuff. So it's an interesting project in scale. And the fact that it's <laughs> at times it's a very small team and then it blossoms into this very big team, um, you know, and so, and then it's also just been able, you know, it's, we've been financially, you know, sustainable for the last four years, five years. And so then it's just, you know, a lot of it is just like, all right, getting all these moving pieces to, to, um, work together financially too, in a way that sustains itself and understanding it ourselves through, through, uh, through numbers as, as well. So I think 
some of the challenges that come with it is it is a very, I mean, it's interesting in this time because it's, you know, we're already a very re- remote team, um, but yeah. we also benefit a lot from, you know, at least periodically seeing each each other. We, we you know, we have these like sort of open um, co-work hours that we had set up once a week that were, you know, way for all these different teams to come together because most of our team has other jobs. This is like a real passionate, uh, like a passion project for, for them. Um, and there's only a handful of us that are full time. So, anyway. yeah. And with that too, I know you mentioned the the 700 volunteers. Um, how do you organize that? What's the incentives? How do you organize all those yeah. people? It's a lot. How does that work? Yeah, it's cool. So there's, you know, there's, there's a great volunteer team that leads it, but there is software that we use called volunteer local and, um, you know, and, and you sort of can build, um, I guess seniority, but, you know, we have some, you know, it's basically people. People, the, the foundational premise of it is people can earn their pass by working, I think it's 15 hours during the festival nice. over three shifts, you know, and what's cool is there's like, there's some people that just do it because they just, they love volunteering and it's a great way to be more like more involved. Um, and we have a whole series of like high level volunteers that are, it's for some people, it's almost more like an apprenticeship situation. They're trying to learn more about certain aspects of what we're doing and and so they get to embed with us a little bit more. Um, but within that, there's layers of like youth engagement we're doing. Um, so it's fairly complex, but we have a great uh, team that kind of focuses on that integration of volunteers. You know, some people, it's very transactional. They're doing it just for the, just for their, their past that they don't have to pay for it. And it's a good way for us to offer, you know, people that maybe not have the financial means, but have the, the means of time to offer, but. Yeah, it seems like a great incentive. I mean, yeah. I'm sure yeah. a lot of people would would do that just for you know spending some time and being able to get a free yeah. access to a, a great I, experience. I think one one anecdote on that I think is really interesting, and I think it's kind of in the general context of stuff you're talking about is like, you know, there's such a, I mean, it's not very well articulated what our purpose is, but everyone kind of gets what our purpose is, and and, and it feels very purpose driven, and everyone there's a lot of buy in in the community in it and I'm, I'm grateful for that but i also think it's it, it's pretty valid there's a lot of you know we've really been able to energize the creative community here and you know make you know help help the the e economy at large but also just um you know it's been a really interesting shift in the com- community but my point with that is like i remember a couple of years ago i i helped transport a volunteer from a one shift and i thought it was really interesting because he was just like yeah, man, it's cool. Like, you know, you show up to these shifts and nobody seems to know what we're supposed to do, but we just, but we, but we just figure it out. And the fact that, that these people were, you know, just showing up and taking ownership over it enough to figure it out, as opposed to be like, oh, I signed up for volunteer. No one's here to tell me what to do. I'm just going to sit down then. I don't care. You know, it's pretty cool how many people like take ownership over. And that's kind of, I mean, on that WeFunder front, you know, if, I don't know if we're ready to go into that, but that was kind of some of the spirit behind that is so many pe- people already act like this festival is their own or they have some ownership stake in it because they they care about what it does with for the community that they're willing to, you know, do things like that, make sure it, it uh, it's going smooth uh, smoothly, even if no one's watching them, you know, so pretty cool <laughs> yeah. yeah well let's let's dig into that so with the WeFunder yeah. campaign then how did it come about to decide that you want to go on WeFunder? so uh, we talked to WeFunder a couple of years ago they kind of came to town and um you know they thought we were an interesting model because they'd worked with like meow wolf and other sort of community really community Im- Im- embedded projects and um at the time we thought it was really compelling um but we just we were like well we don't really have a 
really good reason to raise money right now. And so, um, but you know, in the state of the pandemic, we have, a, we need, we, you know, so the, for people listening, the, um, we had to postpone two weeks before our festival was our festival then end, end of March, you know, we, wow. we literally, we announced our postponement the morning that later that day, the NBA, uh, you know, uh, announced that they were stopping play. So I'm, I feel thankful we were, we were ahead of some of those big dominoes that fell, but point being is we were right on the crest of that wave too. So, you know, the downside from a financial standpoint is, you know, you know, we made sure we paid our whole team. I mean, we had pretty much built the festival at that point. So spent, yeah. spent a lot of the money and, and then had to postpone initially to that. We, we kept it in September of this year. Cause at that point everyone was like, well, maybe a couple months will buy us some time. But as we all know now that that wasn't exactly the case. So now we postponed another year from September. So we're traditionally in March, but now we're in September, 2021. So by the time, Tree Fort Nine, as we're referring to it now, we used to refer to them by years, but it's the ninth festival. Is by the time it actually happens, it's going to be two and a half years since the since the last festival, which is pretty wild. Wow! So anybody that runs a business can recognize that two and a half years without any revenue is a pretty uh, pretty significant gap. <laughs> a so, little bit, a little bit. Yeah. So we have, you know, so luckily most of our ticket holders held on to their tickets, which is great. But that also means that inventory is now no longer. Um, uh, available for sale as we go into next year so you know it definitely helped us you know stabilize the fact they held on to it but we need to kind of fill that that uh revenue back up in order to pull the festival off next next year which so with that in mind we we had to raise some money and there's you know you know we're kind of taking a multi uh pronged approach to that but one of the things was like oh this we funded model that it totally resonated with us in the sense back to we were talking about like this sort of community ownership spirit that the festival already had. And, you know, as opposed to just going to our fan base with like a GoFundMe ask or something like that, we really liked the idea of, of equity crowdfunding because, you know, we felt like we could give, you know, um, people more in exchange for their money and also the potential to, to maybe get their money back in the future or, or earn some money on it. Um, so, for those not familiar with equity crowdfunding, you know, I've been kind of describing it as a sort of the marriage between um, uh, micro investing and, and crowd and crowdfunding. And so it has crowdfunding perks. So we were able to offer some sort of, you know, insiders club like perks, like you would normally see with a crowdfunding campaign, but then also people are buying shares in the festival. And we've been thinking of it kind of like the lines of the green Bay Packers, like a community owned festival. Um, And we've been really, you know, with that in mind, though, you know, to the investment community at large, we, we've also been one of our um, our lead investor and uh, sits on our leadership team. He's 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 really active in the impact in, in investment world, and you know, we've really tried to to frame this 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 whole campaign really like this is more of an impact and cultural in in, in investment. So yeah, really encouraging people to look at their ROI more in that more in that context. Um, and those that understand and understand the mechanism by which we're doing this fundraise, I think it's really resonated with. And I think that that's so cool. I, you know, I love that. I think there's another wing that, you know, maybe, maybe if they're trying to look at this as just a traditional investment opportunity, they're like, why would I invest in, you know, under these circumstances? And I'm like, yeah, that's okay. I mean, that's, you can have that perspective, but I think there's, um, yeah, we just feel really good about the approach and, you know, 
also because we think it, it gives us a, a mechanism by which to be to up our transparency with our audience, particularly this new ownership group. Yeah. Um, so that I mean, running. I don't think people. I think for a long time people have thought there's like this. You know, sometimes when a festival is going really well, like ours is, they think there's these huge profit margins and. <laughs> and when a, when a festival especially ran like ours that is really built more on the community impact and sustainability as opposed to just squeezing as much off the top end as possible um yeah i think it's going to be interesting for for people to better understand how the money is mostly re- reinvested in this thing that they care about and, and yeah you know. and and if people are interested it's wefunder.com slash treefort if you want to right. invest and just to yeah. give some high level uh stats as well i mean so over two hundred thousand invested in this current campaign over 500 investors it goes back to the community there and on that page too it mentions that you've had over you know 133,000 total attendees in eight years mm-hmm. uh you know forty thousand festival passes sold 1.8 million in revenue growing at 17 percent per year i mean this is you've built something that's pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, just looking back on this, Eric, I mean, what do you think has, you know, contributed most to the success of Treefort over the years? Yeah. Um, with all that in mind too, I want to say with just real quick, on the leaf yeah, yeah, thing, go for it's it. like, like you point out, the business has been working really well. It's been a very sustainable bu- business. And I think there's a lot of businesses that are in this predicament right now in this moment in time where they had a healthy business that has been shut down or mostly shut shut down to no fault of their own, essentially a natural disaster with this COVID thing. So, you know, a lot of people are looking for a life raft to the other side. And that's kind of where we're at with this. Like we're confident in our business model, just yeah. not under the circumstances, you know, and it's like, and it's, it's an interesting time. So with that, like, I think one of the biggest successes of Treefort is, is that it's, it's, there's like, it's it kind of built into that whole thing. I mean, there's so much community involvement in it. I think we've been really just kind of, you know, I think there's been some really clear intention about what we're trying to build with it and a really like identified some really clear needs, but then I've also let it evolve to where, where it wanted to go. Like really letting the community help define it as, you know, these other forts and stuff and just being open to other input and not being too controlling of it. But, you know, but at the same time, like, you know, there's this really interesting balance between how we've managed it where there's like, there is really clear co, co cohesion, yeah. but at the same time has this real crowdsourced sort of environment around it that's very collaborative with the community at large and has sort of allowed a lot of other people to be involved in it. And it's created this really re, re, regenerative business in, in a lot of ways of a lot of different people involved in it. And and thus, you have this broad buy-in from the community who, you know, so one of the most telling ways for me with that is like the traditionally, like historically in Boise, at least when I moved back here, you know, most of the radio was mainstream radio and stuff. And like people just, and that's just kind of a top level telling of what people were listening to. And people wouldn't just go out and see a band they'd never heard of. I mean, there's some there's some markets in the country where people do do that, you know, like bigger music scenes, people are always looking for the next big thing or, or, or something in Boise. That wasn't really the case. There was a small group of us, but now we have pe- people from the suburbs and from everywhere else that'll show up to tree tree fort sort of sight unseen, just trusting that the lineup is going to be something interesting to them. We've sort of created this sort of, uh, we call it a festival of, of festival of discovery. So it's sort of, you know, people, I just love that people have adopted that spirit about it, you know? Yeah. And so 
it's less about going and seeing one famous person and more about hey let's go let's go try a bunch of new a, a bunch of new things and and the fact that we've sort of been able to sell that to the community has gives us a lot of leeway creatively and um yeah and a lot of just kind of loyalty to the overall experience and yeah and on the note of you know kind of letting it grow somewhat organically based on the community as well how have the forts themselves you know having these nine different forts now how have you looked at growth from that perspective in terms of what ones you want to start or have be a part of this festival yeah i think i mean first it would start with a compelling idea you know i think and then like say let's start with story for it like you know it's like oh cool yeah i could see how like literary there's a there's a great literary scene here like yeah something along those lines could work well um, and then the really telling question of whether or not it's going to go or not is when we ask, cool, well, well do you want to do it? <laughs> and so, I mean, really, I mean, I think that is, is that is finding, you know, you know, I'm an example in the music world, just like a really like dedicated champion to that cause. And so, yeah. you know, basically within those different veins, if there's not a dedicated champion to it, we're not going to micromanage it from, from a distance. And so, um, that just, so I think that that really is the secret sauce to what works. And now though we've ran into this issue, we've had to like start, we, we can't, you know, but then the flip side of the growth side of that is there's only so much the core team can handle. We can't have all like, we've had a lot of different forts come to us. So, so then from an organizational standpoint, we've had to start being like, um, where, where can new fort ideas maybe live within existing forts? Because, you know, if there's too many, <laughs> different te- teams <laughs> and too yeah. many di- different brands within the brand to promote that it, it, it gets a little, you know, obviously it gets it, that could break at some point. And so, yeah. So one of the challenges has been exercising our no, our, our no muscle a little bit more the last several years. And that's something that um, I'm not particularly good at, but I've been, I have some good teammates that are better at nose than I am. (laughs) (laughs) And and as well, Eric, I'm curious with, you know, how it's, you know, this has progressed obviously over the years, it's grown a lot. And I know early on you wanted to kind of leverage that word of mouth and grow that way. But, you know, let's just say like going into the 2019 festival, for instance, or even going into 2020 before, I guess, pandemic, what does the, the marketing that side of things look like, you know, these Mm -hmm. days with what a festival is with you? Yeah. So, Megan Stahl on our team, she's one of the co- co-founders and she runs the marketing department still, she's, you know, and so it's definitely like, it's like, you know, I think it, it's crazy to me how much sort of marketing world has changed in nine years or 10 years now, I guess, going on, um, you know, like print media has become such a less of a focus, um, you know, social media is not really organic anymore. You have to spend there. So, yeah, um, you know, so we're constantly shifting and we don't have huge budgets in that sense. So Megan's really great about just getting really creative. Like I think last year, I think she took out a bunch of classified ads in newspapers around um, the, the like region. There was something like uh, look, looking for friends to party with at tree fort next, you know, or something like that. So she's really great about trying to find disruptive sort of um, marketing tactics. And then, you know, we do, you know, having 400 some bands and all these other speakers and stuff like that, we definitely leverage the talent too. you know, that kind of helps our sort of, um, you know, you have all those different people sharing stuff on social media and talking about it. And um, that helps, but, you know, using YouTube more, I mean, yeah, 
it's yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah, but but it's interesting how much it's changed and it's constantly changing, you know, and so. Oh yeah, and there's there's always new distribution channels too. Yeah, you look exactly. at you know different ones that pop up, and then it's a matter of finding ones that are kind of undervalued that are cheaper now, and then yep. you know still get you that reach, which is yep. uh, a lot to be said. Even looking at then I, I, I look at this for like just for mm-hmm. grind stuff is looking at getting in different whatever it be blogs or such that are like the top yep. festivals and whatever you know things yep. that are relevant where you find that can kind of give you benefit for years to come as well, yeah. like that type of thing as well. Yeah, well, on that note, yeah, with our PR team. You know, we've definitely, you know, what's interesting from the PR standpoint is last couple of years, we've really not just focused on music uh, press, you know, focused on cultural, broader cultural press and, um, or, you know, you, you know, Boise has been kind of a hot city. So we've been able to sort of be grouped into a lot of those conversations. And uh, so, yeah, there's, I agree that yeah. we've historically mostly kind of like PR has been kind of our angle. We, you know. Um, sort of earned earned press, I guess. Is that what it would be called? Yeah, earned media. Yep. Er, yeah, earned. Yeah. So, um, but at the same time, I think one of the interesting things that you know, looking at marketing from even within our own. So, Boise has a really vibrant downtown, and it's you know, Boise is kind of you know, it's the biggest city in in a broader. I mean, it's not quite a Los Angeles, although they they do say <laughs> that there is someday we we might be like that. But you know, there's I all these, some of the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There's all these other you know, cities in the suburbs and, you know, there's a decent, like broader, uh, there's, it always blows my mind how many other people live here when, you know, I'm used to like just kind of downtown, downtown centric. So one of the interesting things is like, we almost get more reach in some of these other outside markets than reaching just the West side of our, our Valley. So we've really tried to explore different ways we can reach those people that are so close to us, but don't realize that this festival is happening. Yeah. And one of the things I want to ask about, because I'm definitely selfishly curious, because I've always wanted to do events. And this is a very strange time to ask about this. But there's also also time. It's also time to prep for it because of Mm -hmm. because of COVID. Like there will be in person events eventually, clearly, you're banking on that. Um, And I think everyone agrees because we're gonna, you always want that human experience Mm -hmm. in person. What would you tell someone who's wants to start a festival want, whether it be for you know for their for their brand their city that's lesser known i mean what are some of the things you i guess you would tell someone uh, around that and start starting their own kind of uh, event-based mm-hmm. festival business whatever yeah and i have done some travel talking to other cities and stuff about this so if some i mean i think the key thing is to truly identify a, a gap in the market you, you know and and you know boise was a relatively easy place to find a gap in that market there was no events like ours that had ever happened here really. Um, so I, I think it's that, but then it's also like, um, I think I, I think, and I, this is the same thing I tell bands too, is just be really true to what you would want to go to. Cause if, if, if you're really true to that, like there's other people like you and, and as opposed to trying to, um, I always refer to this as bands, but I think it applies to events too. Like there's a a Frank Zappa quote and I'm I'm paraphrasing, but (laughs) it's like, um, you should shoot to please 1% of the population 99% of the time, as opposed to trying to please 99% of the population 1% of the time. Um, did you get, yeah. And so I think, you know, especially most events are really like, if you think in even the Boise Valley, there's like 700,000 people here. We have like, you know, it's about, it's about 20,000 that come to treat, 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 treat for it over the, five days, that's a relatively small percentage of 700,000. So you really, you, you know, and that's a sustainable model for us. Yeah. So yeah. I think some people 
try to water down what they're doing and try to please everybody too quickly and that leads to nobody wanting caring. <laughs> well, especially at the at the start, because if you look at yes. other ones too, I mean, like South by Southwest, it's a huge thing now of like all the different things. Yep. But it wasn't always all of those things. Yeah, yeah. And so you know, it evolves over time as well. And I went to mm-hmm. I went to mm-hmm. Summit in downtown Los Angeles. This mm-hmm. big festival of entrepreneurs and creators and mm-hmm. all these different things, and that was like one of the best mm-hmm. events I've ever been to. And to your point, it's like they don't have like tons and tons and tons of people, but all the people are kind of the same in that they're, they're there to be around others that are like-minded, that are really driven and ambitious and trying to do interesting things in the world. And yeah. you can find your people that way when trying to start something like this. And then obviously you've shown that you, you can do this depending, you know, it doesn't, you don't have to have the whole audience, like 20,000 is a lot of people, but it's a small percentage of what yeah. Boise itself is. Yeah. And um, 35% of our pass holders come from out of state. So it's even smaller than <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. yeah I would say the interesting thing, the way Treefort has now evolved is, is, you know, we're sort of this, the, you know, we're, we're sort of to that, we take that model and we sort of bring all these different, so there's all these little nerd veins that all come together at the same time. You know, we have, you know, li- literally there's a hack for it, there's a tech component too. And if you think about it, you know, that's one of the things I love is, is that the cross pollination that happens at a festival like Treefort is the sense you have someone that's really into poetry. That's all they ever focus on, but now they're, they're reading at a festival like this and they're going to step out of their event and stumble into a music thing or something else. And, and so we're sort of a series of that direct sort of appeal to very niche audiences, but then bringing all those niches together at the same time is a really interesting experience for one, but it's, it's effective in how it gets people there too. So. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the last things I'm curious about, Eric, is just what is, what's next for, for tree fort? What's next for you guys? Yeah, I think we're, it's, you know, as challenging as this moment has been, it's also just kind of exciting to think about, you know, I think we were a little overdue for maybe just a reset of sort of our team structure, not that not going to be any big changes or, or, or anything, but really setting ourselves up for, you know, sustainability and in, into the future. Because I think that we're going to start hitting this new wave of, and there's all this cool, like young talent on our team now that are so excited about it. And then you have pe- people that have been doing it since the beginning that love it, but you know, their time is probably getting close to where they just want to come and come and enjoy it. So I think, um, this, the sort of the process of, 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 of succession within the festival team, I think is going to be a little challenging, but I I think a really unique opportunity for us to sort of build this, build the, like, or the like organism itself, in, in, in a way that, that, that can last outside of even people like myself who, you know, it's, it's a very personalized um, e-event because of the people that are involved. So yeah. how, how do you convert that into something that doesn't lose that personality when the personalities have to start, you know, doing, doing di- different things? With that said, I don't think I'm going to be going anywhere, anywhere anytime soon. Cause I love it <laughs> so much, but, yeah. but, you, but you never know. And I think, I would imagine that that's a big challenge for businesses all the time. Like, you know, the first few years you sort of ride this, the tailwinds of like, of just the initial excitement and the momentum. And then it's, how do you convert that into a long lasting entity? So, yeah. An entity that, you know, runs itself, not that you don't have to do anything with it, but that can, you know, be continue on necessarily. It could continue on without you, um, that you built it up to that point. But that is, that's a good point you make because it is tough, especially talk to a lot of founders and, 
um, many of them of which were on you know their second or third companies. And it's like, mm. yeah, a lot of times it's like they got to a point with their other company, they're there six, seven, whatever years, and they wanted a new challenge. They wanted something mm. different. And they may have uh, decided to either you know sell or, or, or leave and take their shares, whatever it may be. Um, mm. I think that's okay, though. I mean, you'll find mm. that as you're going through it, it's not always the same as in the beginning. And you always see with a lot of companies as well, where you know the team who starts it is not the team that's going to take it yeah. to whatever next level it needs to go to, or it's kind of, you know, evolves into, which is also, I think, okay. And yeah. where can people go to learn more about Treefort and connect with you as well, Eric? Um, so tree, treefortmusicfest.com is our website and my contacts up there. Um, and I just want to say, yeah, and I feel like this WeFunder approach has been like that initial step for us. It's like recognizing like, cause there's a small group of us that own portions of it. You know, it's primarily yeah. owned by Lori, but there's a few other of us that have, you know, ownership's taken it. It's sort of like the beginning of the transition of like, okay, this is a community owned thing. And we, you know, the community wants it to last and it's, we want it to outlast this initial group. And so, yeah, I just wanted to comment on that, that for us, that's a lot of the spirit by which this step we took this summer, which has its challenges, but we're excited about it. Um, Sort of the initial step of passing the torch more broadly. Um, so yeah, treefortmusicfest.com. Um, we're scheduled for September 22nd through 26, 2021. Our intention is, and then we're going to go back to March. We like that time frame in 2022. So the initial, the, you know, the, the near future has us trying to pull off <laughs> two festivals in six months after yeah. this long break. So that's a, yeah. So. It's a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to following along, see you guys do it, that how it progresses. But Eric, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you justgrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.